So this morning we will be taking a look at Revelation chapter 19. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Revelation chapter 19. And verse 1 here starts with the words, after these things. And obviously that would be after the things we studied last week. Um, Last week we actually studied chapter 17 and 18 together. But I'm not going to go back and and reread any of the verses that we studied last week. Um, But if you were here, you'll remember that we talked about Mystery Babylon and the harlot that rode on the back of the beast. And we talked about how this harlot was Mystery Babylon, and that Babylon actually represents a way of life that has deceived people for thousands of years. And that way of life, as we studied last week, will be judged. And um, I'm not going to get into all that this week, but that teaching is available on our website, and I really encourage you If you didn't hear last week's teaching, to go ahead and take some time and find that um, on our website or on iTunes. But the Apostle John here is now going to um, tell us what happened after all that we studied last week. Or I should say what will happen, because we are studying about future events here. So John is going to now tell us what happens after you know, chapter 17 and 18, what we talked about. So here in chapter 19, he says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So very simply here, what's taken place is praise breaks out in heaven because of the fact that this sinful world and its Jesus-rejecting system, word of God-rejecting system, has been dealt with once and for all times. And that's the future for this world system. The monetary system, the materialistic ways of the world will be done away with in the future. And the book of Revelation depicts this world system of buy, sell, and get gain. It depicts it as fornication. You see, you and me who have come to Christ are to be dead to the world system and alive in the spirit of Christ. That's what we see in the New Testament. Galatians 6.14 says, Paul the Apostle said, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, By whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So if you think about that, I'm going to quote that verse to you again here, and you can look it up later. But Paul said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Okay? So the death of Jesus Christ on the cross should have that kind of impact on our lives. The world should be crucified to us, and we crucified to the world. We cannot commit that which is equivalent to fornication and lust after the things of this world. And as we talked about last week, and we saw when we studied chapters 17 and 18, that it's all going to burn. God will one day put an end to this materialistic world in which we now live in. The Antichrist, of course, will one day rise up, and he will only last a short period of time and be done away with. We saw that in chapter 17 and 18. And here in chapter 19, all of heaven is breaking forth in praise over the destruction of Mystery Babylon, that great harlot that deceived all the world, that greed and that lust for material things. And before we move on here, I want to point something out to you that I find interesting. And that is if, that if you look back in chapter 18 for a moment, just look back at chapter 18 for a moment, and look down at verse 15. It says that the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. So you see, the people of the world that love the world system will be distraught at the destruction of this world system. But to the contrary, what we see is that the people of God are depicted in Revelation as rejoicing over the destruction of the world's ways. And verse 20 says, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So you see, a person that has come to Christ and has been born again is, like we talked about, crucified to the world and the world crucified to them. In 1 John 2.15, we're told, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So on one hand, you have people that love the world system weeping over its destruction here in Revelation 18. And then on the other hand, the people of God in heaven are rejoicing over that fact. You see, this is a lesson for you and me as well today. That lesson is to not get caught up in the things of this world that are temporal. We are to love God with all of our hearts, and we are to serve Him above all else and give Him top priority in our lives. 
So back in chapter 19, heaven continues to rejoice. And verse 3 says, again, they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Verse 5 of Revelation 19, it says, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both great and small. And I, ha I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So we're seeing here again that all of heaven is in agreement with praising the Lord. The word Alleluia there just simply means praise the Lord. The word omnipotent means unlimited power. Okay, so the fornicating system, as we've talked about, the fornicating system of this world is done away with here. The Antichrist is no longer in power and all praise and glory and honor now belong to Jesus, the Lord God omnipotent. And verse seven says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Hmm. So who is to be the wife of the Lord Jesus. Verse 8 says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. But who is she? Now, remember, keep in mind, as I've reminded you as we've gone through Revelation, that we're still looking at things that are symbolic here. Revelation is full of symbolism. Okay? And we've been able to look at that and go back into the Old Testament and see you know, what it's referring to and things like that. And here we see symbolically a wife or a bride, if you will, that has been made ready for her husband. So what is Revelation speaking of here? What does this bride represent? Or I should say, who does this bride represent? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, I'm asking the question here, who does this bride represent? Who does this wife represent in, in Revelation chapter 19? What is the symbolism here? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to them says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
So here we see that the Apostle Paul is expressing his love for this church, this body of believers that gathered in the city of Cornwall. He has done his job as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's poured out his life to teach them and establish them in the faith, and he fears that they will turn away from Christ, that somehow they will be deceived. And he equates these believers here with a woman, a virgin, that is betrothed or engaged to Jesus Christ. So Paul uses an analogy here. And we're seeing that kind of symbolism in Revelation chapter 19. Okay, It's not a woman that has been involved with fornication here, but rather it's a woman that has kept herself pure. Paul calls her a chaste Virgin, meaning we turn from the world. We don't live in accordance with the world's ways. We live in accordance with the word of God. Okay, She hasn't been deceived and given herself to anyone else. And this is the church today, the body of Jesus Christ. That's what we are supposed to represent. We're not to be involved in the fornication of loving this world. Again, we are to be crucified to this world, dead to this world, and alive in Jesus Christ, as we looked at earlier in Galatians. We are to turn our backs to the sin of this world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and we are to be committed to waiting for Jesus Christ and waiting for his return. Now, we don't see it much in our society today, right? But a young, this is a picture of what a young woman is to be waiting for her husband and what a young man is to be waiting for his wife. And this is how the Bible depicts the church and how the church should be, the bride of Christ. Now, another example of this is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 5, and of course I'm reading from the New King James Version, as I always do. Ephesians 5, 25. We'll look down at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So we see in those verses that what Christ wants for a husband to be like. But there in verse 32... Paul reveals something to us, and that is the fact that what he is really talking about is the relationship 
between Christ and the church. So here again, the church is equated to a bride that is to be ready for her husband. Okay, so there's two examples of what we're seeing in Revelation in regards to the bride or the wife, right? And flipping back now to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. This is what we're seeing in verses 7 and 8. Let's read verses 7 and 8 again. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So the time has come. And all of heaven is breaking forth saying, praise the Lord, alleluia. The eternal relationship between Christ and his body, the church, is about to begin here. And verse 8 speaks of the good works, the righteous acts of the saints. And the good works that which are that which make the bride, the slash the church, ready for Christ. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, as you've heard me say many times in the past, good works do matter, right? We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Symbolically here in verse 8, righteous acts or good works are pictured as the bride's dress. Right? That's what the symbolism is we see here. It's pictured as the bride's dress, the righteous acts, the good works, that which makes her beautiful and ready for her husband, as it explains here. Verse 9 says, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So do you know how much Jesus longed for this day? You know, when Jesus sat down with his disciples in what we know of as the Last Supper, he broke bread with them and he drank wine from a cup. And this is where we get communion from, right? But as Jesus drank from the cup, he said to the 12 men that were there with him, he said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink of it with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus couldn't wait for that special day that we're now reading about in Revelation chapter 19. It's time for Jesus to spend eternity here with all of those that through his blood he has purchased. And when it says there in verse 9, these are the true sayings of God, it's simply saying, that's a fact, Jack. That's the way it is. Christ is coming again. He's coming for his bride to take us home, right? These things are truly going to happen. And at the realization of this, the Apostle John, as he writes this in verse 10, it says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this angel that is speaking to John these things, angels are not to be worshipped. God alone is to be worshipped. 
The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, he says here. In other words, it's all about Jesus. All prophecy is fulfilled in him. And all the prophecy of the book of Revelation begins with and ends with Jesus. He is the Lord God omnipotent, and he alone is worthy to be praised and worshipped. So the angel says to John, get up. You're not to be worshipping me. You're to worship God. Worship God alone. Verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. So now, of course, what we're seeing here is Jesus, the lamb. He is the faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Again, this world as we know it today will one day in the future be judged according to the word of God, according to the book of Revelation here. And he is more than worthy. Jesus is more than worthy to judge it because he is faithful and true. His eyes were like a flame of fire, it says, and on his head were many crowns. He is the king of kings and his eyes are like the flame of fire. He means business here, right? You see, there is a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 64. And you can go ahead and turn there. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64, and we'll start reading in verse 1. This is a prophetic word from Isaiah, of course, written hundreds of years before. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. So as we read this, you can picture what we're seeing in Revelation. Jesus with eyes like flame of fire, and in righteousness, he's judging and he's making war. Verse 3, when you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. So you see, it is Jesus again that is faithful and true. He will act on behalf of those that wait for him. Those that do not love the world, nor the things of this world. People that are depicted as waiting on the Lord. Verse 5, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Pause right there. Do you see that? That's who is going to meet the Lord. Those that do righteousness and remember the Lord in his ways. Again, this depicts the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 5 continues. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So Isaiah speaks here in regards to the righteous that wait on the Lord 
and in regards to the world that rejects his salvation. The Lord is angry with sin, and we all need to be saved because all of our righteousness is but filthy rags at best. So as Isaiah prophesied that the Lord would rend heaven and come down back in Revelation chapter, as we turn back now to Revelation chapter 19, we're seeing the fulfillment of that prophecy. The Lord is coming back. So let's turn back there, Revelation 19, verse 13. It says, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. So now people will debate here whether this robe dipped in blood, what it represents here. Is it the blood that reminds us of the cross of Jesus Christ, or is it the blood of his enemies that he will defeat in this great war? You could go either way, and I don't think it really matters much. Personally, I lean toward this reminding us of who Jesus is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He shed his blood that we might have eternal life in heaven with him. But either way you go, he is the word of God. That's what's being pointed out here. And he is judging and making war with his enemies here. And verse 14 in conjunction with verse 13 says, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. The reason I say that this is in conjunction with verse 13 is because Jesus, the sinless one, is clothed in blood, and the saints that are with him are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. His blood is the only thing that makes a purchase righteous, a person righteous, right? Which is again why I lean toward what that robe represents there. Verse 15 says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fearness and the wrath of God Almighty. Now pause right there. We see Jesus is the word of God and the word of God will judge the nations. You know the scripture that I so often quote, right? That says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And then verse 13, that same chapter, I'm quoting from Hebrews chapter 4 right now. I didn't have you turn there. But verse 13 says that there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the whole world, according to the Bible, will someday give account to the word of God, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is what will come out of Jesus' mouth and will judge the whole world someday. And then verse 16 says, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So this is who he is. There is none above him. There's none more powerful, for he is the Lord God omnipotent. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 17 then I saw an angel standing in the sun, 
And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them in the flesh of all people, free and slave, both great and small. So again, we're looking at a period of time here where the Lord means business. Now we live in an age of grace. Now we live in a time where whosoever will can come to the Lord. They can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. This is a period of grace, but a time of judgment is coming in the future. And that's what we're seeing in Revelations. Jesus is going to come and rule in a different way as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came to the earth the first time as the suffering lamb, but he will run one day rule as the Lord God omnipotent. And here in, ver in these verses, we're seeing what is called the great supper of God. But this isn't the kind of supper that you want to take part in. This is a supper where the birds the vultures are invited to eat the king, the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both great and small, both small and great, it says. So the enemies of the Lord are being destroyed here. All those people that withstand the word of God and, and hate the word of God today and don't want to turn to it. And now John is going to show us the battle here in verse 19, he says, And I saw the beast, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. We know the beast represents the Antichrist. We've studied that in the past. Then the verse 20 says, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two are cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with a sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So this is the end here of the Great Tribulation. We, we started studying the Great Tribulation several weeks back. This is the end of it here. The Lord is victorious over his enemies. The world and its system has been dealt with. And there was one last ditch effort by the beast, the Antichrist, that is, and the false prophet to make war against the Lord and his people. But they were captured and cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And all the rest of the people that fought against the Lord and the, these people were destroyed as well by the word of God, as it says there, and the birds were filled with their flesh. So this is the end for all people that do not repent and turn to the Lord. So many in the world, even till this day, fight against the Lord. More specifically, many in the world fight against the Word of God. We've taken the Word of God out of schools. We want it out of our public buildings. We want it out of everywhere, right? They don't want to obey the commands of the Lord. And man is exhorted in the Word of God today, though, to turn from sin and turn to the living God and to live life in a righteous manner. And Christians, the body of Christ, are to live in a way that shows that we are the, the, the bride of Christ. We're making ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord, the great and mighty God, our Savior. And we are to represent His love to the world around us, right? 
But we know to the contrary that most people would rather walk in darkness, walk away from the Lord. Jesus said, why do people not come to him? He said they don't come to him because they love darkness rather than the light. So again, all you have to do, though, is watch the news today and see the laws that are being passed that are contrary to the word of God. And you can know that the end is drawing near. And here in Revelation, by studying this period of the great tribulation, we have seen that this world will not get away with it. And one day the word of God will judge this world. This world will be judged for its sin. And as we saw this morning, the prophet Isaiah prophesied and said of this world, he said, we have all sinned. He said, we have sinned. In these ways we continue and we need to be saved. And that's why Jesus has come. See, he's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of truth now. And whosoever will can turn to him. But that period of time is coming to an end someday. And the world will be judged. So now is the time for salvation. Now is the time to make yourself ready and to share the love of God with others that they may be ready as well. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the time that we've had here, Lord, to open your word and to study it. I pray that your word will not return void in our hearts, Lord, that we will live in accordance with your word, and that we would honor you with our lives, Lord. We pray that you'd be glorified as we go forth into a new week. We pray your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.